Health and Fitness with David Hollywood. Fitlands 103. Hello and welcome to Health and Fitness with me, David Hollywood. On the show this week, you'll meet a leader and a teacher. Full-on nutrition is the brainchild of the Offaly Ladies football captain, Ellie McAvoy. We're going to be talking to her very shortly. On the Gaelic Games theme, Frank Meskell is the chairperson of Westmead GAA. He'll be on with us to review his time in the role so far and to discuss what the GAA can do for our health. And we finish up by talking to a remarkable man who's taking on an obscene challenge. Five marathons back to back in the name of peace and healing. That's all coming up on Health and Fitness this evening. We all know the expression, you are what you eat. And as time's gone on and as our, as our understanding about nutrition has developed, uh, we understand that that is actually more and more the case. I'm very glad to say that uh, joining me in studio for Health and Fitness this evening is Ellie McAvoy uh, from the Offaly Ladies football team. Uh, but uh, for this evening, very much from uh, full on nutrition. Uh, Ellie, thanks so much for coming into us. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Full-on nutrition is a uh, project, an enterprise that you started up uh, towards the end of last year. You might talk us through um, the kind of things that uh, you provide uh, for anyone listening uh, who wants to develop their understanding of nutrition. And it's across a kind of a number of categories of people that could be interested. So first of all, well done on the pronunciation, because I know a lot of people struggle with that. <laughs> Thanks. Um, just to give you a basic background on it, I suppose, um, I'm a PE and Irish teacher. Uh, initially, that's what I done my undergraduate in. So the full on, the name comes from the Irish for nourishing. Um, so okay. that's my whole belief, I suppose, that nutrition should nourish your body both physically and mental and physical well-being. So um, the aim of full-on nutrition is to provide an evidence-based approach to nutrition and performance and how that can basically amplify your mental and your physical well-being. So um, currently, I suppose, I have a range of services that I offer. Um, It's one-to-one nutrition coaching. So that's for maybe the general population who want to um, understand the fundamentals of nutrition better, um, how it can amplify their general health, their well-being, (coughs) excuse me, and then their weight management maybe as well. So it's dependent on an individual's goal so I offer that one to one then I also provide team services where I deliver presentations or workshops where by I'll go in and I'll speak to the team specific to maybe optimal physical development and how to reach that performance uh, strategies and recovery strategies from a nutritionalist perspective and then I might do hands on practical workshops so trying to actually teach people and educate them on how simple and easy it can be to make small lifestyle habit changes that will you know, suppose impact your lifestyle in a in a really beneficial way from a nutritional perspective. So, um, it's quite hands on that practical side of things, um, as well. And then the final off service I offer is, um, Isaac. I've got my Isaac Level One qualification as well. So it's where I, uh, basically measure body composition, um, for more specific to athletes and team sports, and then we can reassess down the line. So trying to improve body composition analysis as well. Okay, there's loads to get into from what you've said there. Loads of interesting things as well. Um, Let's talk about the general population and the kinds of things that they can benefit from when they interact with full-on. For the everyday person, the average person that you know socially, through your family, through work or education, all these things, how much do we stand to benefit by putting in a bit more thought and a bit more consideration into what we shop how we put it together and when we consume. 
Yeah, I suppose that's something that from personal experience is probably why I maybe followed this route is because I've always been kind of active myself and lived a healthy, I suppose, lifestyle. And I come from a, a family who's always been interested in sport and exercise. But um, I know I know I have a lot of friends and I suppose relatives who don't have that interest. So it's something I suppose I'm really passionate about trying to educate people on the role that eating well plays in terms of all other aspects of our lives. So our physical well-being, our mental well-being. If we don't feed our bodies with the proper food, how do we expect ourselves to feel well, to eat well, to just even carry out general day-to-day tasks? And longevity of health is something that's huge with regards to what we feed our bodies as well. So um, I suppose it's it's what I'm trying to do is teach people that, you know, you don't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be where your diet, you can't have, you know, things like chocolate takeaways, things like that. But it's about trying to educate people that's implementing small changes, trying to focus on nourishing foods as opposed to your processed foods is going to, in the long run, make you feel better, make you think better, play better if it is sport that you're playing, even perform better in work from a concentration, cognitive perspective as well. So, you know, if you think of it, if you put bad oil in a, or diesel in a car, it's not going to run well. So if you don't fuel your body well, and it's not just from a sports and performance perspective. How are you meant to, I suppose, feel well physically and feel well mentally? So um, that's definitely something that I suppose the aim of the business is to try and educate the general population about that. That mm. nutrition doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be difficult. It should be there to amplify your life. It should be there to um, enjoy social occasions with family and friends. But I suppose it's about trying to be consistently making better decisions as opposed to being perfect for a week. I suppose, And it's appropriate this time of year when a lot of people mm. make these January um, uh, changes and all these New Year's resolutions. So I suppose not trying to go hell for leather for three weeks and then falling off the bandwagon again. You know, I I have like uh, takeaways. I'd have chocolate from time to time as well. It's about, I suppose, just trying to be consistent and make better choices over the long term for your own physical and mental well-being. A little bit of what you like is OK. Um, exactly. Yeah, I, I was, do you know, I was mulling over covering uh, uh, New Year's resolutions on this show uh, kind of as we came up to Christmas and as the New Year started to come in um, because I think personally I'd, I'm against them for that reason that like if, 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 if it's a good idea to be good in January you may as well start being good in October mm. or, or whenever but by the same token I guess like people do start good habits in January and, and they can stick to them but like you say it's about calibrating what is practical and achievable. Yeah, exactly. Like we all have a life as well that there's going to be times when we can stick to say, for example, if it is a calorie deficit, if you're trying to lose weight, you have social occasions with family and friends, which are so important in your life that you're able to include those things. So it's about, I suppose, understanding that restriction is only going to lead to falling off the wagon or, you know, binging then as well. So it's about maybe, I suppose, trying to implement habits where day to day over 90% of the time you're making good choices, but that you're also able to enjoy life, enjoy I suppose, the social element of food, the, the flavour of food as well, and actually understanding that, OK, when I actually nourish my body, I feel better for it. I enjoy my social occasions too, and you're finding a balance. So striving for perfection, I suppose, does lead to that falling off mm. after a few weeks' time because maybe you go, you're hard on yourself then because you've been like, oh, well, I didn't have a perfect day of eating today, so why will I bother tomorrow? I should just throw in the towel now, as opposed to understanding that it's OK. I maybe ate a little bit more than I should have or I didn't eat enough today based on your own goals. You know, it's not always for weight loss that people want to, I suppose, make these new habits in January. But um, understanding that, OK, well, I just I start again tomorrow. And I find actually something like maybe journaling your thoughts about your relationship around maybe why you you maybe fell off whatever your goals were 
can actually help you to understand why you did it and then you can reevaluate. And then the next time maybe you feel like you're veering towards falling into bad habits again, you can actually check yourself and be like, okay, well, no, that's the reason why that happened the last time. But this time I'm going to be a little bit easier on myself, allow myself, I'm human at the end of the day. And then I suppose reassess where your goals are and trying to just suppose be in line with them as much as you can. But we're not all going to be perfect all the time. So I think it's trying to be a little bit easier on ourselves that perfection um, is not the goal, it's consistency. And look, your advice competes with a world that throws these expectations at us and, and, and the, the conflict and pressure is always there. So it's, it's not an easy piece to get our heads around. And even if we do understand it, it's not simply done. There's, there's loads we've covered for, say, the general population, as it were. You come from um, an elite sport team background, I would say, and this is also part of what full-on nutrition uh, offers. You work with teams. Talk us through how that works and, and, and the kind of advice and the kind of um, practical steps and that type of thing that you can give people in terms of nutrition if it's a, in a team environment. Yeah, so I suppose I have always played sport from a very young age. It's been a huge part of my life. Um, and surprisingly, I, well, I'm, I'm 25 now. Only in the last few years, really, have I actually honed in on the role nutrition can play in amplifying both my performance on the pitch, but my recovery off the pitch as well. So um, really only when I was about 19, 20, did I start to kind of tune into it. We had a coach with uh, my club, Nave Kieran, who had a background in, in dietetics and nutrition, and he started to teach us about the importance of, of our nutrition and from that that is probably where my interest stemmed and it's why I pursued the Masters in, in Sports and Exercise Nutrition because I think as a young female athlete we can be very much um, susceptible to misinformed information and research online and these fad diets or you know that carbs are bad or you know that we shouldn't be I suppose eating certain foods so that was something that, and it is something that with full on I really try to tackle especially with the female population when I go out to different teams to talk to them is that your food is your fuel your food is what's going to amplify how well you play on a field how well you perform in a gym and your day to day ability to carry out your tasks because everyone lives such busy lifestyles now that whilst we're trying to play at a certain level we're also trying to work and we're also trying to meet friends and have a social life and have so many other things that pull from us. So our food is so important in terms of per our performance, fueling our day-to-day -day activities and also our recovery and how we feel then in terms of being able to train, I suppose, consistently. So um, the teams I would work with, um, be it at inter-county level or at club level, um, are very much, I suppose, trying to ingrain that knowledge in the players now that their food is there to amplify and to help them as opposed to, I suppose, maybe the neg negative connotations that can be around some food. So okay. um, that's the main aim at the minute that we're trying to, I suppose, implement at Full On Nutrition with teams. Ellie, if people listening want to avail of what Full On Nutrition can offer, where can they do that? How can they do that? Yeah, so I have an Instagram page where I'm quite active in terms of posting evidence-based content, recipe ideas as well. Um, so you can find that at full-on underscore performance underscore nutrition. So how you spell that on the Instagram is F-O-L-L-A-I-N. There's no father on the Instagram on the Instagram page. Um, and also you can email me also if you have inquiries regarding one-to-one -one coaching, any of the team um, presentations or workshops or the uh, skin fold measurements so that's info at fullonnutrition.com and that's with the father so F-O-L-L-A father I-N so it's a little bit confusing but F-O-L-L-A-I-N underscore performance underscore nutrition on Instagram and info at fullonnutrition.com is the email.
You're listening to Ellie McAvoy, the founder of Full On Nutrition, an awfully ladies footballer. When we come back, we're going to start talking uh, specifics in terms of nutrition and food. And uh, we might get a bit more background about Ellie and uh, look forward to a big game coming up at the weekend. Health and Fitness with David Hollywood. I'm in studio with Ellie McAvoy, founder of Fallon Nutrition. Ellie, before the break, we were talking about uh, the kinds of positive effects uh, that good nutrition uh, can have on an athlete's performance, that it can have on any of us, really. But let's get into some specifics here. Let's give some practical advice to our listeners. Um, you know, Leinster Cross Country Championships, the Masters event is on this Sunday. I'm considering running it. Uh, what should I be eating, consuming nutrition-wise, kind of a day or two beforehand, Friday and Saturday and, and Sunday morning, or even from your own perspective, you have a big game in the National Football League on Sunday. Um, what are Because as far as I understand it, what we eat the day before and the day before the day before, this all has an effect on the big day. Yeah, exactly. I think that's probably another misconception is that your pre-game meal or maybe the morning of your run is what's important. But your your um, preparation really should be starting 24 to 36, out for, 36 hours out from a match or a race. That's when we want to increase our carbohydrate intake. So our carbohydrate intake is our main fuel source. So that's what's going to fuel sustained periods of endurance training, be it 60 minutes plus of a race or of a football game or whatever it may be, a cycling um, a cycling tournament that you're in, um, whatever it is that that is your that is your sport so um from 24 hours to 36 hours out we'd aim in, we'd be aiming to increase our carbohydrate intake so that could be just some things like practical examples like maybe having a bigger bowl of porridge adding some more rice to your dinner having an extra potato um your snacks in the day maybe could be carb based things like a squares bar nature valley bar so each time we eat we want to make sure that we have a good carbohydrate source because that's going to build up the glycogen stores within our muscles which is basically a fancy term for the fuel the energy store in our muscle, which then we will deplete as we exercise. So if you think of it, when you start your race or you start your match with full energy stores, they will deplete as the game goes on or as the race goes on. Sure. So you want to have them as full as you can pre-exercise or pre-competition so that you can actually sustain the output that you're going to be exerting over the game or over the competition. You can't metabolise and use this stuff if you load it all up a few hours before games or, or races. Exactly, or that's yeah. the thing. So I think that's why some people, I suppose, get bogged down on their pre-game meal and having the, I suppose, the stereotypical chicken pasta before before a race or before a match. But it really is the day before. So it's, again, everything is quite, with nutrition, dependent on the individual. So what one person can eat may be too much for somebody else. So it is trial and error and it's getting used to what your body is able for. The recommendation is around five to eight grams per kg of body weight. But again, Again, if you're unfamiliar with what your body weight is, then just aim for having a good source of carbohydrate in each of your meals and each of your snacks from 24 hours to 36 hours out. If you are familiar, then you can get, a, I suppose, a little bit more um, specific with, with the amounts and stuff. But it really is just focusing on carbohydrate intake pre-competition. Um, and then, sure, if it's intrafueling, so things like Jaffa Cakes, Lucasade Sport, um, jellies um, are really, really good during a race or during a match. That's intrafueling. Intrafueling. So okay. that's, yeah, during the race or maybe at halftime that's why you'll see dressing rooms have those kind of snacks because what happens is they will break down into our bloodstream quicker and release that energy into our muscles to supply our body with the energy we need to sustain the exercise for a longer period of time. You've got um, 
that game on Sunday throws in at two o'clock in Forban. What do you do in the morning uh, in and around breakfast? So for myself, um, again, I probably have this quite nailed into my own routine now because I'm used to it. So it will be trial and error for anyone maybe who might be trying this for the first time or getting used to it over the next while is I will have a white a white bagel with jam the morning of a game um, alongside maybe something like a glass of orange juice because they're all quick releasing carbohydrates in terms of the energy that they will give me. So they'll break down into my bloodstream more, I suppose, more rapidly than something like porridge will or having brown toast because they'll take a little bit longer. They give a slower release of energy. So the main aim for me is the morning of a game. I want to have quick releasing carbohydrates in my body so that I'll have the energy, say, come one thirty for when we start our warm up to actually fuel that that warm up and then the game. And then during the match, maybe or in the 30 to 60 minutes pre-game, you'd be aiming for about 0.5 to 1 gram per kg of body weight. So say, for example, if you're a 60 uh, kg athlete something like a squares bar along with maybe half a bottle of Lucozade and a few Jaffa cakes is perfect something like that so I've actually found over the last while I suppose working with teams is we don't fuel enough at all what we think may be enough is actually nowhere near enough okay. so it's something to be conscious of that even if you have it in mind of 0.5 to 1, kg, 1 gram per kg of body weight in the 30 to 60 minutes and then as you feel throughout the game if you feel like you may need two or three Jaffa cakes at half time a few sips of Lucozade because again it's individual to the person so I know myself I rather have Lucozade at half time because I find it difficult to eat during a game so I'll go for the, the liquid option instead because it's still a good source of, of quick releasing carbohydrate it'll break down into my bloodstream and it'll supply me with the energy I need then for the second half or for the maybe potential extra time in some games so it's a, it's very individual to the person hmm. you've got other options like your energy gels that we sometimes um, supply to teams but I find that they probably are something that should be trialled outside of competition day because they don't agree with everyone. So yeah. what what works for one person may not work for someone else. Some people can have a lot more food in the lead up to a game. Some people don't like eating at all the morning of a match. So if you are someone who, say for example, on a Sunday you have a race or you've got a game or a cycling tournament or whatever it may be, you could increase the amount you have in your meal on a Saturday night because that's still quite close to the, the tournament. But you're not maybe you know, eating that when you feel sick on the Sunday morning maybe or you're not able to intake that You can gauge it based on what you've learned about yourself and we all have an idea of basically listen to your appetite as well as part of this and and, and adapt it from there. It's apparent to me as you talk that you're um, genuinely really passionate about this stuff and uh, as a PE teacher, as someone now who's directly involved in teaching people about nutrition, how important is it to you personally uh, to see yourself having a career where this is kind of the definition of what you're doing for people. Yeah, I'm I am really really passionate about it. I think it's because I have seen firsthand from myself the positive impact it's had on my life from when I've started to actually apply these principles to my training and my my I suppose my team sports um, but also from like my, an individual perspective as well. So I think because I've always played I suppose at a fairly high level with football all through my life I used to go to training or go to matches and wonder why I felt fatigued because I was always training. Like I'd be nearly training every night of the week between school, sport, club and maybe sometimes with inter-county. So I was wondering how do I not feel like I have the energy to play here? Um, And it was kind of impacting my mental performance then as well because I was kind of questioning myself. So I think since I've really honed in on making sure I'm eating enough and that's something especially with athletes I think we kind of sometimes get, we're a little bit afraid of because we're more focused almost on body composition. But when you look at it, your performance metrics are so much more important than 
what a body fat percentage may be, what might be telling you. Okay, so I really, I suppose, emphasize that is that your food is your fuel. And I've found since I've actually really just tuned into fueling my body and focusing on repairing my body post-exercise or post-competition, everything else has improved for me. My performance has gone up, my confidence in my own my own ability because I'm, I know myself, I'm doing everything I can to be at the level that I need to be at. Um, so that's something I suppose that from the teaching side of things when I'm in se- I'm a secondary school teacher I see that with the students as well that when they feel like they are I suppose doing the right things then they actually perform better in tests be it maybe something in physical education class when we go to play matches with, a, with the school team or even from a concentration perspective in class the more fuel they have they're actually able to concentrate more. And the earlier that you get people into these habits the longer they'll last and therefore we're talking about huge benefits down the line from from a general population perspective. You mentioned performance. You'll be performing at the weekend. I should have introduced you as Captain McAvoy. <laughs> uh, you're going to be the captain of the Offaly Ladies football team this year. Um, talk to us about uh, what that means to you. Yeah, it's a huge honour. Obviously, that's something that from a young age I've always dreamed of. Um, I've been playing with the inter-county teams, I suppose, since I was about 10 um, and I'm 25 now. I was vice captain maybe about four or five years ago, which obviously was a huge honour at the time. But it's nice to, I think, step into, I suppose, that leadership role. Um, I'm obviously surrounded by two excellent vice captains as well in Fiona Dempsey and Amy Gavin Mangan. And it's a really, really great squad of girls, to be honest with you. We've got leaders everywhere within the group. So um, it's probably a nice role for me because I have such support around me. Um, and in terms of the management team and everything this year, it's it's a really, really positive setup. Mm. So I'm just honoured, I suppose, to to be given the role of leading that charge and I'm just looking forward to, I suppose, a successful long season, hopefully. Just in the early stages of having a chat with a couple of people in and around the camp, seems like there's a bit of positivity there and, you know, timing might be nice for you to be picking up the leadership role. Uh, uh, I know last year was tricky in certain parts and um, Division 3 in the league won't be straightforward at all. There's There's some really competitive teams there but uh, how do you see the season going overall what are your hopes for it yeah well I suppose it's very much it is a rebuild of a season when, when you think of it we've got a lot of new players in we've got some players who've stepped away for different reasons through injury or maybe some travel um, but we've also I suppose got a new and an old management so Greg is obviously back Greg Farley um, he was in there when I first started with the senior team so it's almost like it's come full circle um, for myself from when I first started um, with the senior team but um, it's really exciting there's a really really nice atmosphere amongst the group I think there's huge aspirations for the year ahead um, in terms of specific goals I think we really just want to focus on development and building something special here because there's a really strong group of players within this county um, and there's so much potential there's so much ability so it's about I think nourishing the right group creating the right environment getting the proper supports in place for, for us in terms of our nutrition training facilities and everything like that because you need all of those outside external factors to be right for performances on the pitch to be correct as well so um, I think that's the main aim this year is to try and build to understand our role to understand tactics to develop physically I suppose as well and aerobically um, and see then where that takes us which I feel like if we get those things right we have a very very positive um, we will have a very positive season ahead of us um, but yeah at the minute things are really good and have been for the last while since um, we've kind of started back so it's exciting to see what's, what's to come Throwing in for Bangier is at two o'clock on Sunday, and uh, hopefully you get a great turnout there to cheers on, uh, cheer you on in the league opener. Um, if 
the county panel can apply themselves in any way like you've applied yourself to the world of nutrition, uh, then Offaly Football will be in good shape. Uh, the very best luck with full-on nutrition and the forthcoming season. Ellie McAvoy, thanks for joining us on Health and Fitness this evening. No problem. Thanks, David. Speaking of Gaelic Games, we're about to assess what's happening in Westmead GA with their chairperson. Health and Fitness with David Hollywoods. In my time on health and fitness, we've always been keen to look at how sports can be used as uh, tools to benefit the community from a health and fitness perspective. Uh, in that vein, I'm very glad to welcome onto the show for the first time uh, Chair of Westmeath uh, GAA, uh, Frank Mesco. Frank, uh, thanks very much for joining us on the programme this evening. I'm delighted to be with you, David. It's a pleasure. Now, you are sort of halfway through your time in the role with Westmeath GAA and uh, I know there's um, probably it's like a roller coaster in a lot of respects there's plenty ups and downs because it is sport and because so many people care so much about Gaelic games give us a rundown from your perspective of how you found the time in the role so far I suppose uh, what I would use first of all is demanding it's certainly a very demanding role um, you have your objectives, if you like, or aims set out what you want to achieve. They can be very, very difficult. And at any stage, they can be derailed. You can become a firefighter. Something just arises out of the blue. Uh, maybe from a club perspective, maybe from a referee, maybe from any individual. Different things arise that you hadn't planned. And really and truly, you have to deal with those. Very often, that's inadequate response and that, but I at least have to address it and try to fix it, if you like. So, yeah, it's a very, very demanding position because you never know really from day to day what you're faced with. Okay, you have your broad objectives out there, what you want to achieve, short-term, long-term. Um, change is difficult for people for an institution, which the GA is, change can be very difficult for an institution and that. But um, you stick with it and you try to do your best. I find it interesting. I've read your comments in the local papers and from what you've said there, um, you're not shy of being critical of yourself or holding yourself to high account. It's something that's important to you. It is, yeah, because look, at I have been involved in the GA all my life. I suppose Primarily, I was a trainer or football manager, if you like, and you always had your objectives with that. And if you didn't live up to expectations there, the team weren't short of letting you know that you failed and you didn't uh, provide what was necessary for them. Probably in the role of chair, you don't have that yearly uh, account, if you like. So... I have to keep an eye on myself, really. Um, I would have said at convention that I had a page and a half of long-term, short-term objectives that I wanted to achieve or that as goals that I set out for myself. Some I have done pretty well on. Some are ongoing. You don't just address them now and are gone, addressed, done and dusted. No, they continue on. Some of those are doing pretty okay. A few of the really big objectives I haven't achieved. And yeah, I, I, I would be critical of myself for that because that means that I just have to work a bit harder. That's all. Okay. Um, talk to me about the one objective you would like to see out or complete successfully before you do finish in your time in the role. 
two huge big objectives would have been the upgrading of Cusick Park, which is progressing nicely. The other one would be, I don't like the term centre of excellence, but I, I like it to our home. Um, like Parry Columns or to have a little house it will get there in, in probably in the short term it will get there they're not done yet I can't tick them that box ticked no they will be ongoing mm. and even when when you we sign an agreement or that that's really only the beginning the beginning of the work yeah, a lot of these are, are long-term projects and uh, just getting everyone around a table to agree to start the project in the first place is a project in and of itself, I suppose, um, both in uh, administrative and, and practical terms and political terms. Uh, let's bring it back to the health sphere. Uh, from your perspective, uh, from your life in GAA, um, what do you think GAA means uh, to the community's health, generally speaking? The GAA is in every parish in Ireland and Westmead is no exception to that. It's in every parish in Ireland. And often the GA is the heartbeat of the community. With our local shops going, local post offices closing, uh, often the GA and the GA pitch and centre is the focal point of our community. And, you know, the health and well-being in Croke Park, they have their slogan, we are community. And how apt that is for the GA. And the GA are very active in all fields of the community, whether it is development, health and well-being. We have almost every club in Westmead now has a walking track. Most of them lit up and very well surfaced for the community to go walking, especially in the winter months. They can come to a safe area, not be on the roads, the dark roads, and maybe frosty roads at times. We in Westmead, over the last number of years, prior to becoming chairperson, I would have been chair of the health and well-being. Over the last few years, we have changed our health and well-being officer quite a number of times because the person in it was just had so many commitments in other areas and that. So over the coming year, we now have Anne Gavin in the role from St. Mary's Rockford Bridge. And I think Anne will be very proactive with our clubs and that. Mm. The health and well-being in the GA addresses a huge number of areas. Some people would say it's not GA responsibility as such. But look, at we are all members of our communities the whole drug issue, uh, substance abuse, if you want to call it broader term, gambling. Gambling is a huge area. And, you know, the GA can help in that with very high profile uh, people like Oshin McConville, who is a huge ambassador for the gambling issue. Um, many, many issues that health and well-being can just healthy lifestyle, I suppose. Mm. And the GA, I know here in my own community in Balnacargi, it's a total focal point for all the community. As you say, Frank, there, whilst the GA might not necessarily be literally obliged to pursue this health and well-being side of it, it's an opportunity because they're in every parish. You speak about community and well-being. Um, I suppose one of the broader ideas within well-being in the community is that everyone is part of the same community and the GAs kind of looking at this in the future, the merging of the associations. You've been on record recently as voicing your concern from Westmead's perspective 
the administration of the intercounty teams and, and a lot beyond is costing a lot of money. Merging the associations will cost the GA quite a bit of money as well. Leash executive are voicing similar concerns. So there's a bit of negativity growing around the issue of the merging of the associations. Uh, possibly, yeah, with regard to fundraising and that on the ground, grassroots level, no, it would be, integration would be very, very welcome because our clubs have it anywhere. Many of our clubs have the one club where the executive is male and female, looks after the ladies' uh, football and the men's football. In in Camogie and Hurling has always um, had a very, very um, unique partnership and always worked together with their clubs there. My big concern, and look, at I'm trying to use a crystal ball here, which often isn't a good idea, but the GPA... Now, the GPA are very proactive for hurling and football and have done a huge amount of good work to enhance, if you like, the status of our county players and see that they get their just rewards. Now, if we are to transfer that then to Camogie and ladies football, I see huge knock-on expense for it. And I, again, have no issue with that. Equality, I think there should be equality. But where is the extra funding going to come from? I reckon it will have to, the men, the GPA, the players charter that we signed, that we agreed to, that the men will have to take a drop in their in, in, in what they can achieve and what, and what they can get to bring the ladies up to par. Because I don't see Camogie and LGFA having the resources to uh, equal what we provide for all footballers and hurlers in the GPA Charter as it exists now. Is it an insurmountable obstacle? No, it is not, because I think grassroots level are crying out for integration and will welcome it. So we've got to make it work. If you're like me, you've been watching events in Gaza with a sense of deep upset and helplessness. However... There's an Irish man in New York who's decided to do something remarkable to affect some change. Health and Fitness with David Hollywoods. Midlands 103. Those who listen to Health and Fitness here on Midlands 103 might have caught Peter Dunn. Uh, he's also on Midlands today. And of course, Breakfast with Peter Dunn talking about his preparation for the Manchester Marathon. And uh, we've been living the odyssey with him. He's gone through uh, the training, the pain, the physio. Uh, but what if you were to do that, uh, but put five of them back to back? Uh, I'm very glad to say that joining us live from New York on Health and Fitness, originally from Wicklow, is Orrin Bambrick. Uh, Orrin, um, you're running from Dublin to Galway. It's an aid of those suffering in Gaza, which is fantastic. Um, so I want to, before we get on to the unbelievable challenge you're taking on, uh, welcome you to the show. And if you can talk us through uh, where the funds are going that you'll be raising uh, for this uh, absolutely madcap activity. Yeah, uh, thanks very much, Dave. Um, yeah, so doing this um in aid of uh, two two charities that are, as you said, is going to help those that are affected by um, uh, by the horrible situation in Gaza. So the first one is PCRF, which is the Palestinian Children Relief Fund. Uh, some of your listeners may be uh, aware of these guys already, but um, they bring essentially uh, emergency aid uh, and and uh, you know health supplies for the children of Gaza. 
so obviously can't be couldn't be more urgent and more timely. Uh, and the other um, charity is a charity probably lesser known, but uh, called Combatants for Peace. And they are a charity that is uh, made up of both uh, ex-IDF, so ex-Israeli soldiers and ex-Palestinian uh, combatants that have sort of put down their weapons and, you know, looking to, uh, I suppose, offer a peaceful resistance to the to um, you know, this situation and try to uh, build cross-community relations in a peaceful manner as well. So uh, also a really great charity and, and delighted to be able to support them as well. Yeah, it's so nice to hear that with, you know, we live in a world of entrenched perspectives and there's no more entrenched perspectives uh, than when it comes to the struggle uh, that we're witnessing in the Middle East at the moment. Um, so to see former uh, military participants coming together and and you being able to support that initiative uh, through what you're doing is fantastic. Um, as I prefaced just a few moments ago, what you're doing is nuts. Uh, so let's talk <laughs> about that. Um, Dublin sure. to Galway is a huge distance. Essentially, it's five marathons back to back. Um, you're coming back from New York to take this on as well. So talk to us about the logistics and um, the kind of challenges that you're going to expect. I should say as well, you'll be passing uh, through the Midlands on days two and three for this expedition. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so essentially, it's going to be five marathons in five days. So just sort of stacking them back to back. I'll probably be a little bit longer um, the, the, as the sort of crow flies it's it's a little bit more than five marathons so day one will probably be like 28 miles day two might be 27 or something like that but yeah um logistically you know it's a lot of staying in b&b's <laughs> too glamorous at all but uh but the real challenge would be really you know making sure that get my body right uh for the for the next day and so on and uh yeah i mean um i suppose nothing can really prepare you for this but i've been tipping away a little bit of training and stuff that and um trying to stack big runs on top of each other and stuff. But I've never, I've like, oh, I've run a couple of marathons and so on, but haven't quite, uh, haven't quite taken on something this size. So I'll be, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I've been, you know, uh, I had this in my mind for years, something that I'd, I maybe want to do someday. And then uh, just with the awful situation um, in the Middle East, you know, you, you sort of feel compelled to maybe do something or you feel a little bit helpless. So I said, you know, I can, change this from a, a vanity project of something that I wanted to do someday into maybe something for uh for for good as well. So um so yeah so preparation is <laughs> uh logistic wise and stuff it's just a lot of B and B's and probably stews in the pub and maybe a pint before bed and then and then up and doing it again the next day, you know. You've almost sold it to me, like I mean stews in <laughs> a pint and, and um that definite afterglow of having done something really good for a great number of people as well. The challenge itself, so you must be in in doing any sort of research for your preparation and training, you're, you're, you're broadening the scope from what say us club runners are, are used to look and reading for, for preparation, preparation for one marathon. You're probably looking to take uh, information from those who are doing ultra marathons and these very unique bespoke challenges that some people do indeed take on and, and they usually get publicised. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a shift. Like, like you said, they, like I'd be more of a you know club runner. Like I've done a couple of marathons, but you know I do one a year, maybe at best. And uh, so this is a bit of a departure. Like definitely a, up in the ante a bit. But yeah, doing a lot of research on on the ultra stuff. And thankfully, you know, they sort of say like the big the big takeaway is you can't really prepare your body for something like this. Fantastic. So you just gotta, uh, <laughs> which is always good news, you know. Um, but uh, so yeah, I think you know the the as I said the main thing is like 
I'm getting a, a long run in or a marathon in on the weekend and then I'm running the next day and learning to teach my body to say like, all right, okay, like shake the cobwebs off. So, so, you know, I won't exactly be replicating, you know, five, 18 mile runs in a row to sort of replicate it. But on the weekends, I'll sort of stack, you know, decent sized runs on top of each other on a Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, I, I do want to touch on the mental aspect shortly. But just to pick you up on what you mentioned in terms of your training technique, do a marathon distance at the weekend and follow it up with some sort of run the next day. Um, how often have you done that? Um, what was it like, the feeling initially? And has that feeling developed, the second day feeling? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the main thing is like I'm used to racing the marathons, you know, so like when I'm going out there running, I'm put, trying to put the foot down, trying to get the best time. I'm sure a lot of your listeners can empathize with that, you know, in terms of whatever that goal is for people. Um, so I've started to do marathons now at a slightly slower pace um, and just sort of getting through them. And that makes the world a difference on the body, to be honest, like when you're not putting the, the foot down. Um, I did a marathon last week, so I was actually up in I was up in altitude in, in Colorado. Um, my partner's from Colorado, so we're up with her family. Uh, and that was an altitude marathon on a treadmill. And that was a real, real cha- mental challenge as well, trying to just get that distance done when there's nothing on TV and you're just yeah. in an empty gym by yourself. Uh, so that was a good training. Uh, that was really good training. And like, you know, my body was tired that night, but the next day I was relatively fresh because I wasn't putting the foot down too hard and, and got out the next day and, and, and had another run at altitude. So I think all that stuff will stand to me is just like stacking them up on, on top of each other, as you said, and getting used to getting the body used to saying like, okay, we've done something big, but there's something big tomorrow as well. So just <laughs> get ready and, and, and shake the cobwebs off. And there's a few little, you know, aches and pains, but I'd say I'm relatively surprised how, how it wasn't too bad. Now, that'll be a different story when you're stacking five on top of each other, but, but so far so good in it. Yeah. And as you say, the main objective, as opposed to building up the kind that kind of mileage before the, before taking on that kind of mileage is is to get there relatively fresh and injury free being the big one. And then you alluded to the, the, the psychological side of things. And um, firstly, I'd ask you, what's your psychological relationship with running? A lot of people find it an almost <laughs> meditative experience. Um, you're going to have plenty of time with your own mind when it comes to yeah, yeah. Uh, this expedition. Uh, so what is your concern on the mental side and how do you feel about it heading into it? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. I think I have a pretty, thankfully, you know, I know a lot of people, you know, they sort of dread getting at the door and I'm no different, especially it's nice and cold here like it is back home as well. Uh, so it is tough maybe to get the foot first foot out the door. But I, I like you said, I do find it very meditative and very, um, very helpful for like, you know, relieving stress from work and just gives me a boost of energy. So I have a really healthy, thankfully, uh, relationship with running. Um, uh, as I said, like mentally, this will be a little bit different and there'll be a lot of um you know have to dig a little bit deeper into that so as i said like just the marathons and the treadmill and I've, it's minus 14 celsius here in new york yesterday and i was out running and i'm trying to do a marathon this weekend now and in, in probably pretty similar conditions and stuff. so just things like that of like you know running when you don't want to is, is is definitely definitely helping but i think honestly like as i said i've had such an uh like such an important um you know, obviously charities that were run for, um, you know, I really do feel like I've seen so much in, incredible bravery and courage from that region uh, in, in the last uh, 102 days. So, you know, you really draw on the strength of like, look, I, I chose to be here. I had the privilege to be able to run across, you know, our beautiful country, you know. So, um, 
So it's really putting things into perspective like this, saying, saying like, look, I get to do this. This is a great thing, you know. Um, and there's a lot of people that, first of all, need the funds and, and are, are going through a, an awful lot worse. So just trying to keep things in perspective and, and know that I have a, a lot of support, which has been great so far. A lot of people coming out and, and donating and uh, being very kind as well. So that's always helpful. As I said, you're going to be running through the Midlands uh, on days two and three of it, uh, but you're running through the country for, uh, from east to west, as it were. There's there's plenty visual there to enjoy if and whenever you're in that mindset that you can enjoy it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, I mean, like I, I started running when I was still living in Ireland. You know, I, I uh, left Ireland nine years ago now, but um, did the Dublin Marathon a couple of times and so that. And, and you know, I think running in Ireland is one of my my favorite things you know it's just like obviously i love coming home i get to come home a good bit thankfully maybe twice a year so uh but no i'm, I'm really excited to run through the midlands to be honest um as i said day two i'll probably be staying in mullingar and day three will be in athlone as well and you know we're going to be stopping in the pubs as well shaking the tin as well trying to get a few people to throw a few pounds in there as well so um but yeah really excited we're going to be running along the uh royal canal mullingar to athlone uh so that'll be a nice uh scenic scenic journey as well and, and looking forward to to meeting meeting plenty of the midlands people as well yeah, and certainly it has to be said, uh, finishing up in Galway is a great place to stop and celebrate uh, this if if and when you do achieve it. Tell us then, everyone who's listening, if they're motivated to uh, donate to the causes you're running for now, how do they go about doing so? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, thanks very much, Dave. Uh, so we have a website up. Um, so it's Gallop for Gaza. So G-A-L-L-O-P for F-O-R. Gaza, of course, dot com. So gallopforgaza.com. Um, that's the easiest way to donate. It's a simple, you know, WordPress. You can sort of read a little bit more about the challenge. Um, you can donate. Um, my contact details are there as well. So if people want to come out and run, I'm more the merrier. Uh, I'm certainly I could use the, the boost of morale. So if you're in the Midlands and you fancy a 10K or popping along, uh, please reach out. Um, I'm going to post up a sign-up sheet there as well, a Google Docs so people can sort of tag themselves along it but please reach out my email number there uh, if you want to join along but uh, as i said your donations are will go a long way we've already raised uh, a little over three and a half k so far we definitely want to boost that we only started posting about this recently so we'd love to get you know as i said that those funds are so urgent and and needed uh in in gaza and palestine at the moment so uh if you're if your listeners are, are in in the interest of giving uh please visit gallopforgaza.com yeah, and um, it's absolutely worthwhile. Then when is it happening exactly? Yeah, good question. So it starts on March 5th. Uh, so the Tuesday we'll be leaving uh, Samuel Beckett Bridge in Dublin. Um, and then we'll be heading Enfield the first evening and uh, or first day in, in Meath. And then it goes, as I said, through the Midlands and we'll be finishing up in Galway on March 9th on the Saturday. So uh, Tuesday to Saturday, so the five days back to back. Orin, if you've got it in the um, legs and the mind, uh, you might take a call off us um, once you get off the road one of the evenings in the Midlands. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would, I would love to, either on the road or off the road, I'll, I'm happy to chat to you guys as well. So, And thanks again for taking interest and, and sharing the story. It's really, really appreciated. No worries. Orin Bambrick, Gallop for Gaza. It's a phenomenal um, project that you're taking on. We're so excited to see uh, how it goes and we hope that you can uh, raise as much as possible in doing so. Thanks for joining us on Health and Fitness this evening. Thanks so much, Dave. Cheers. All the best.